Julian Charles here of themindsrenewed.com coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK and today I am delighted to say that we're joined again by Anthony Rituno who's been on TMR many times in the past to talk about all kinds of subjects all kinds I won't bother to go into the list of things because uh, I'm just inviting listeners to go and check that out for yourselves um, anyway it's always a delight to speak to Anthony he's a teacher uh, a blogger, a musician, a thinker, uh, originally from the UK, but now living and working in Spain. Although at the moment I'm going to be talking to him in the UK, but he's shortly to travel to India, and we'll have something more to say about that in a minute. Anyway, Anthony, good to have you back on the programme. Hi, Julian. How are you? I'm very well, actually, thank you. Very well, indeed. Can I pull you up on a couple of things? Yeah, yeah, do. I'm now a podcaster as well. Oh, yeah, you're a podcaster as well. That's right. <laughs> and I've left Spain as well. You've actually left Spain for good now? Yeah, I've, I've bolted for good, yeah. Well, I mean, I could go back in theory, but... Uh-huh. How long were you there for? Uh, five and a half years. Five and a half years. And you were teaching English as a foreign language over there, mainly? Yeah, that's right. Teaching a bit of music as well. I had a few guitar students. Well, in fact, um, when you featured my thing about conspiracies that mm. was something like april 2014 that was when i first got there so wow yeah oh yeah you've been on the journey with me yeah, yeah. yes incredible yes we've known each other for a long time haven't we now yeah we have yeah we might meet one day you never know we have tried a couple of times to arrange it but it hasn't worked out yeah, yeah. okay so why are you going to india then what's all that about um well what can i say as i said i've reached a bit of a crossroads finished a relationship well it was finished <laughs> I mean, India is something, I don't know, it's always been in my mind to go there. There's very few places in the world that I've sort of been hankering to go to at some point in my life, but India's always one. Uh, inevitably, with my life, it's a Beatles. There's a Beatles connection. Ah, they went to course. India, and uh, I might actually get to a place called Rishikesh, which is where they went. But, uh, you know, I, I spent quite a few years in Asia, in, in Thailand and Laos, and obviously India is not the same as Thailand, but um, I suppose there are things that are common to Asia itself. The best aspects of Thailand, it was a kind of a throwback to maybe a more, uh, I don't know, innocent age. You know, a lot of things seem more organic there. But mostly, I mean, everyone who's been to India says, you know, it's a, I don't know, they feel like it's the kind of place that I would enjoy. I mean, there's going to be negative things, you know, I'm sure to see a lot of poverty and uh, things. But um, I think it's just all part of the experience, you know, and I've Mm. never sort of shied away from uh, exposure to yeah the darker sides of life and everything no so um and what are you going to be doing when you're out there you're going to be teaching essentially again are you well no i've um i've just booked a six-week trip uh, essentially backpacking uh similar to what i did uh if you remember went to columbia four years ago yes yeah um you took nothing there pretty much nothing but a guitar or something didn't you when you went there yeah well all i'm taking Really, my, my main goal is just to experience every every moment of the India trip because I've done quite a lot of traveling, but uh, I went backpacking around the world when I was 25, which is uh, 18 years ago. And to be perfectly honest, I kind of was, was just going from place to place, all these recommended places, and I never really gave myself the time to just be there and be alive to it, which is kind of the point of backpacking. You know, backpackers are mm. occasionally a bit yeah. snobby about, or oh, tourists, you know, going somewhere for two weeks. <laughs> We're backpackers. But, you <laughs> yes. know, the, the spirit yeah. of backpacking and traveling, quote unquote, is to uh, not really head for the tourist places. I mean, the only one I'm going to go to is a Taj Mahal, purely because it's like an hour away from Delhi or something. I wouldn't traipse across the country to go to that. Okay, so well, I, I got the idea that you were going to go there Sort of permanently, really, and that you were going to teach. And But before we got on air, you talked about the possibility of coming back to the UK permanently. Is that right? Yeah, well, my plan for India is just to be alive to sort of any possibilities. And um, yeah. I kind of have a sneaking feeling I might end up staying there a bit longer. I mean, I'd like to do... I did voluntary work before in Thailand, uh, teaching in a, in a slum area, which is very, very rewarding. And um, India offers so much, so many possibilities, and um, they drive on the left. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, too too cowardly to ever try and drive on the right. So uh, I think I drove on the right for about half an hour in Vietnam in about 2001. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm training to be a life coach online, which is sort of quite a natural transition from teaching because uh, 
a lot of English teaching and uh, a lot of teachers will tell you this. You feel almost like a sort of counselor slash therapist at times because a lot of students, for example, you know, stressed businessmen and businesswomen, they kind of use the English class to get stuff off their chest while practicing English. Oh, I see. Yeah. The best teachers, I think, have a sort of sympathetic way about them and uh, a good way of empathizing. And You've had a long interest in psychology, haven't you, as well, which fits into that nicely. Oh, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, mm. therapy and mental health, thats it all mm. goes to that. But yeah, I've had a great time in Spain. I've been to Italy. I've been to Thailand. But, you know, I am English at the end of the day. And mm. I do feel like at the age of 43, I do want to maybe put some roots back down in England. Mm. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. So, okay. We're going to be talking about your new album. We have mm. mentioned the fact that you are a musician and we've played some of your stuff on the mm. on the mind review before we've never really concentrated on it as a thing in itself have we and uh, mm. i just thought having heard your latest album what a great opportunity this would be to talk mm. about the music itself so thanks for agreeing so it's called through life you and uh, your fellow musicians have created this this year 2019 but you've got previous albums which you've, yeah. you've mentioned adventures in retrospect which was 2017 and before that Butterfly Dreams 2016, which I understand is a collection of songs that you wrote quite a long time ago. Mm. Um, and in between, uh, you've got these live sessions, which I have to admit that I've not actually heard. And all this okay. is, I think, available on Bandcamp, which I'll be putting links to, of course, um, in the show notes. Anyway, uh, Through Life, your latest album, I was really taken with. I uh, liked it very much and I thought it would be great to talk about it. Because I, I, I liked Adventures in Retrospect as well. And uh, particularly in terms of themes, some of the sort of truthy themes that uh, yeah. come out in that. And you, you keep... Snuck a fear in there. Yeah, you did indeed, um, which we'll come to because we talk in a minute. But there's some of that still in Through Life, though arguably perhaps not quite so obvious as it was in Adventures in Retrospect. But uh, mm. anyway, um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about some of these songs, hopefully playing some of them and encouraging people to go and, and take a listen, which would be really good. Oh, thank you very um, much. Okay, so perhaps you could tell us, what would you say is the theme? And don't just say, well, it's about life. Uh, you've got to tell us a bit more about that. What mm. would you say is the theme beyond that sort of trivial statement oh it's about life uh, i think it's just about life no nah, i knew you were gonna say <laughs> sorry 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 <laughs> timing eh? um i do want to shout out to some of my collaborators because some of them are fantastic Absolutely. and there's a lady called uh vesta runzaville who's an american lady who lives in madrid and she's done all my posters for my gigs online posters did she do the artwork for the album yeah she did and um, that's lovely really nice oh, yeah. i mean she's amazing she's i call her like an ideas machine mm. Um, I think it's less truthy because it's basically more personal. Okay. It's always quite an eclectic mix. On my last album, the one before, I had like a bossa nova song. I had like a, a reggae, sort of white man's reggae, we called it, <laughs> song. And there's a bit of blues, there's a bit of country. Three or four of them are to do with uh, the lady I was in a relationship with. Mm -hmm. They reflect uh, my relationship with her. In fact, song number eight, Ballad in G, is supposed to be an answer or a continuation of song number five. Uh -huh. And one of them is sort of very slow and emotional, and then the other one is a sort of fast country song. So it's almost like reflecting the two sides of my relationship with uh, Nina, my ex-girlfriend. Okay. One, the sort of very romantic side, and then the other one is the fun side. Mm. The fun side of being in a relationship and being in love with somebody. So I would say the theme's really a personal. I mean, Through Life was actually the first song that was written Shall I talk about that now? Or? Uh, in a minute. I mean, there are there, okay. you say they're not all written by you. Mm. I mean, are you mainly the lyricist or do you also write the music? I mean, obviously, I suppose if you're a group of musicians, there'll be an element of improvisation. So it's not going to be down to one person anyway. But mm. do you create the basis of most of the music as well? No, I mean, the songs are mine. I mean, uh, my producer and, my, and the guitarist who was in the Backfield Plan, which was my band, uh, he's called Kester Jones. I'd like to talk about him in a minute. What generally we do is... Sometimes I'd have a complete song and we just do a demo and record it. Uh -huh. Sometimes, because he, he's a musical genius, I would call him, he would sometimes give me a couple of chords. So for the song Through Life, I wanted to have some diminished and augmented chords, but I'm not really very good with that. So I said, oh, what would be a good chord? So I gave him an E major and I said, uh, you know, what would you use here for the end of this? And I would say, should I use a diminished or augmented? And he'd give me, you know, oh, you should use a diminished here. <laughs> so they're kind of production songwriting things, but they are basically my songs. I mean, yeah. there were a couple of co-writes on my previous albums, but basically eight of the songs are mine. And then two, one was written by an old friend of mine who's a school friend. And then one is a cover. 
So uh, um, yeah. talking about chords, there, I've got to just ask. You, every now and again, you get an added sixth chord that's chucked in right at the end of the song, mm. <laughs> and sometimes I think it really, really fits, and other times I'm thinking, "Oh, where did that come from?" You know, out of the out of the blue. Yeah. Whose idea was that? Well, have a guess which 60s band uh, might have done that before me. Hmm. <laughs> I'm afraid it's the boys from Liverpool again. Gosh. Yeah, right. I'm afraid so, yeah. If you listen to um, songs like She Loves You, uh-huh. originally they had She Loves You, it was ending on, I can't remember the end chord, maybe a G, but uh, and then someone in the band, I think George Harrison said, uh, came up with the idea of a sixth, which they, all, they were all a bit embarrassed by because they felt it belonged to sort of an arcane age. Yes, it has a sort of cheesy quality to it, doesn't it? Yeah, but somehow they made it valid. And, uh, <laughs> Kester and I, Kester the producer and I, we know a lot of the same stuff, so he recognised that as a Beatles thing rather than a sort of 30s or 40s thing, so we shamelessly used it. <laughs> okay, so yeah. uh, it's Through Life, which is song number four. <laughs> uh, that is one that does in fact have <laughs> in the guitar an added sixth right at the end, uh, yes. which I think does work really well, actually, because it's that kind of song. It's got a lot of chromaticism <laughs> in it and uh, close harmonies and that sort of thing. So I think it does work. Um all right, let's talk about this one. So some of the lyrics here that I picked up, I haven't got them written in front of me. So through life, we complicate mm-hmm. matters. Our hopes and dreams mm-hmm. are shattered. We stifle mm-hmm. each other. And then, of course, there is this rhetorical question. What is this thing called love? So mm-hmm. I guess to sort of kick this off, how does love relate to the problems that you have in the verses there? Hopes and dreams shattered and complica- we complicate everything. But there's this thing called love. Well, I think because that's the bridge... I always think of the bridge. Uh, the Beatles used to call it the middle eight because it often had eight bars. Uh-huh. I often think of that as maybe a little bit apart from the rest of the song. I mean, the verses, it's supposed to be a kind of a wry thing. So the lyrics sound very negative. You know, we complicate matters, we stifle each other, etc. Often I write stuff where the lyrics sound quite negative, but the songs sound quite jaunty. I don't think it sounds like a negative song, exactly. does it? It doesn't. No, mm. no, it doesn't, really. No, it sounds like, um, I mean, almost like music theatre or something. Yeah. I suppose, and when it starts, you get that sort of vamping yeah. with a repeated chord progression that you have there. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of Barbershop Quartet, actually, with your close mm. harmonies in there. Well, I'll tell you what it was. Um, mm. I discovered a band called The Ink Spots last year. They're amazing because uh, if you listen to their greatest hits, it's like 30 songs. It's basically the same song 30 times. <laughs> uh, they just get away with it. Every single one of their songs starts something like... Right, yes. Or yeah. 99% of them. Which is actually the sequence that you have here, isn't it? Yeah. In your song. And they all have a guy with basically the same voice, and then they have another guy with a bass voice. And the solo is basically him talking the lyrics in a really low, like a bass <laughs> voice. So I, I thought, I've got, I want to do a less sort of a pastiche of that. And it came into my head through life. And it's about, I'm trying to really do something that's quite universal. You know, get to a certain age and you realize we do complicate matters. And, and lost in all the chatter, I mean, I have a very, very profound feelings about the negative sides of technology, even though obviously it's the reason you and I are able to do this. Hmm. And the moments, all that matters is, you know, it could be a reference to, you know, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, kind of gone mainstream the last few years. But this idea of, you know, the moment, you know, we never focus on the moment. One idea that came into my head was how many times do we breathe a day? Thousands. Does anyone remember any of their breaths from a given day? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, it popped into my head because in meditation, obviously, I practice uh, Vipassana, which is insight meditation, which is breathing (laughs) as opposed to a mantra. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's lovely to just get those lines in. You think, I want to say this to the world, and it's in my song. Yes. All right. Well, you know, that connects with me because, I mean, years and years ago, when I was a teenager, I, I read something about what were called here and now experiments, mm. where you just concentrate on the here and now. And as it were, tell yourself in the starkest way, you are alive at this moment, and mm. your consciousness is experiencing things to bring you into this moment. And uh, then years and years later, when I was reading Francis Schaeffer, uh, the Christian theologian, he was talking about practicing the presence of God. Um, and I, I immediately saw a connection between those two things. Mm. So not just to say I am here, but also I am in the presence of God at this moment. Um, mm. The two things have stayed with me ever since, really. So I've always found that really helpful. So, I mean, a lot of people talk in terms of having some sort of wow experience in a spiritual sense, which I'm not, I'm not against. But, of course, you don't always get wow experiences. Mm. But what you can do 
pretty much always, is just arrest yourself and say, in this moment, I am in the presence of God. And that just changes your consciousness, calms you down, makes you realize who you are, where you are in the cosmos sort of thing. And I've always found that really helpful. So I do do kind of connect with the sort of thing you mean there, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, if you actually uh, identify it as a wow moment at the time, in a way you're almost judging it. No, I suppose what Um, I mean is there are certain experiences, mm. the spiritual experience that you can have, like obviously I'm speaking here from a mm. Christian experience yeah. where something happens to you you know, you find yourself in a situation I don't know, it could be a, a worship situation it could be some special place or meeting some particular person and then something happens to you, you think, well phew, where did that come from? This is really weird, this is an other experience, in my, in my view this is an experience of God, mm. but those are pretty rare Whereas, you know, everyday life, I'm thinking, well, where is God? But if I just do that business, I'm just a moment, calm down, I'm here. And I know, just as an act of the will, I'm saying, I know that I am in the presence of God. Mm. Then to some extent, although it's not such a wow experience, it has some of the same effects upon me. Right, right. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. I mean, would would that Mm. be anything to do with um, sportsmen talk about being in the zone when you're just, or does it have to be a revelation or could it just be very, very, very in the moment when you transcend the sort of scattered mind state that we generally live in? I reckon it's probably connected to that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would call it transcending the scattered mind. Okay, well, hopefully we've listened to Through Life there. (laughs) Um, There's another one that I would like to play, with your permission, which I don't know how profound it is. Uh, Maybe it is. Um, But I think it's just a really good song. Yeah, yeah. A good popular, at least it should be popular, I think. You know, popular style love song. uh, The Good People Know. 
Um, I really like it. I met a girl at the ice cream stand. Oh, yeah. And just goes on about falling in love. Yeah. And then the characters marry. Is that right? And have a perfect marriage kind of thing. Yeah. For a while, yeah. For a while. And then, uh, but yeah. And then it says um, something like, but everybody knows about me. And I wonder what that was all about. Uh, yeah. Um, a, few things, <laughs> a few things to say. Okay. I discovered uh, a podcast called Soda Jerker. And I recommend it to any songwriters. Um, it's two guys from Liverpool who actually went to Paul McCartney's uh, Lipper, Liverpool Institute oh, yes. for the Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. And uh, very interesting. As I've got older, I've started to have more respect for the sort of crafted songs. Have you ever heard of the Brill Building? No. Uh, the Brill Building is basically a place. It's almost like a factory of songwriting. I don't know if it still exists, actually. Is this Brill as in Brill Cream? Uh, no, I think it's B R I double L. Okay, yeah. all right. Probably in those days they probably put barrel cream on their hair, but that's another. Story. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. No, the barrel yeah. thing, it's like it's kind of factory songwriting. So I think people would literally do a working day with pianos and guitars around and produce songs for people who don't write their own. Like it could be Frank Sinatra. I mean, huh. I think in those days everyone's trying to get Sinatra to do their songs. And when I was younger, I kind of scoffed at that kind of thing, the sort of quote-unquote crafted, like Burt Bacharach or something. And I'd say, no, it's got to be all inspirational. It's got to be all personal. But Soda Jerker, they interviewed a couple of people, Neil Sadaka being one of them. And I kind of thought, oh, I need to broaden my palette a bit more and accept that. So I thought, well, I'll write a song. I just got in my head, the good people know. Everybody knows that the good people know and the good people know about me, which honestly, Julian, doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right, I okay, you I disappointed you me. <laughs> no, sorry, right. yeah, I couldn't tell you what that means. But um, I thought, I want to write a cheesy pop song. Mm. So I just came up with it. I met a girl at the ice cream stand. She was tall with a cup in her hand. I suppose I had, again, Nina, my ex-girlfriend, in my mind. But uh-huh. It's very nonsense. Uh, did, did you consciously mould it around the kinks? It sounds very kinks to me. Uh, not consciously, no. But I mean, Ray mm. Davis is, again, yeah. I would call him a songwriting genius. I love yeah. the 60s yeah. output of the kinks. Yeah, there's quite a lot of that sound in your music, I would say. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah. It's not conscious. Mm, I think so. It's bound mm-hmm. to come out, isn't it? Yeah. So I had this idea, you know, I met a girl, married her. I like this stuff about she carried my life in her hands and then I carried her life in my hands. It's this idea of codependence. Yeah. In my relationship, and I guess in a lot of relationships, you know, you bear all your vulnerabilities. And so you're looking after each other, basically. And there are times when the other person's strong and you're feeling vulnerable and weak. And then there are other times when you're the strong one. You kind of fill each other's gaps. Mm. But just some lines. This is very kink. Sorry. (laughs) We fell in love. We fell in love despite the weather, which, I don't know, it, it has connotations of, you know, England, you know, despite the rain or whatever. It doesn't mean anything consciously. But I just like it. I just wondered if you chose it to rhyme with together, to be honest. Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's one line that I really like, is it when it's essentially, it's a, perhaps the hook of the song is, mm. come with me and I'll keep you warm at night. Yeah. I don't know exact melody, but you have a sort of sliding, I'll keep you warm at night, and you change the harmony at that point. It reminds me of something, but I can't place it. Can you think what that might be? Um, I'm, I'm going to just, yeah, I'm just going to come clean here. I don't care. Go on. There's a couple of songs. I was listening to a song called Mr. Moonlight. Beatles covered it, but it's, I think it was originally called Dr. Feelgood. And it's, um, and we love you, Mr. Moonlight. And there's a couple of chords. We love you, Mr. Moonlight. Come with me and I'll keep you warm at night. So just the... Yes. Oh, no, naughty me. That is actually a quote, is it, that you put in the song, effectively? Oh, no, the lyrics aren't the same. No, no. Oh, it's, okay. It's the chord change, yeah. Chord sequence, right, okay. I met a girl at the ice cream stand She was tall with a cup in her hand I know that she saw me Cause she looked up to see that I was holding Spend our lives together But everybody knows What the good people know And the good people know About me Married the girl From the ice cream stand And she carried My life in her hands Now everybody knows That the good people know And the good people know
Because I'm, I'm also a big uh, through Bob Dylan, who's a, another right up there with my musical heroes. I got very interested in folk music for a while, and the folk sort of ethos before we got all obsessed with intellectual property and everything else is that melodies are kind of up for grabs. I think what gets frowned upon is if you start nicking people's lines and lyrics. So I kind of go by that basis. I, I'd never nick anyone's lines, but you know, a couple of chords here and there. Noel Gallagher said, I basically spent 20 years rewriting my record collection and hoping nobody notices. <laughs> but to answer your question, yeah, is little chord changes stick in my mind because I, I used to be basically a covers act when I lived in Asia. So, Well, I'm going to let you off this. There'll be plenty because, more. Don't I mean, I, I remember, um, it's not in the same scene whatsoever, but I wrote with a friend a comic opera in style of Gilbert and Sullivan when I was quite young, actually. And uh, mm. one of the songs, I ripped off the chord sequence of the Mikado song from the Mikado. Mm. I just thought, I know this is going to work. I had a completely different melody of the top but it just worked because it was such a strong chord sequence so uh, yeah I've done exactly the same sort of thing there. Mm. perhaps even worse because it was exactly the same chord sequence right the way through the song well I mean uh, one of the things that's come with YouTube this issue of plagiarism has come up more and more and uh, mm. sorry Led Zeppelin fans if you don't know this but Led Zeppelin's first album I mean at least half of the songs almost sound exactly the same I mean do you know the song Dazed and Confused by any chance remind me I mean the Zeppelin ones being dazed and confused for so long it's not true and it's a hard rock song and then the year earlier a guy called jake holmes came out with a song called days and confused which goes being dazed and confused i mean it's exactly the same and there's um the last time by the rolling stones this could be the last time maybe the last time i don't know um staple singers fantastic gospel group oh yes they had a song this could be the last time which is fair enough and then it goes, maybe the last time, I don't know. So exactly the same. <laughs> so, now, do, you, you know. do you, this is one of my silly anecdotes, do you remember the Magic Roundabout? Yeah. And the theme music to that? Well, it turns out that uh, that chord sequence matches the basic harmonic structure of one of Bruckner's symphonies. And so Bruckner <laughs> must have copied the Magic Roundabout, but there we are. <laughs> one, of Noel Gallag- one of Noel Gallagher, two of Noel Gallagher's songs, one of them is called Shaker Maker, and it's basically I'd like to teach the world to sing. I'd like to teach the world. And hilariously, another song, I think it's She's Electric, yeah, the middle bit goes, I'll be you and you'll be me. There's lots mm. and lots for us to see. And do you remember a program called You and Me? Yeah. Yeah, children's program. Uh, I watched it as a kid in the 80s, yeah. and it's you and me, me and you. Yeah. It's exactly the same. I mean, not exactly the same. No, no. Near and enough. then there's uh, John Williams' ultra-famous Star Wars theme that's extremely close to Eric Korngold's music to the film uh, King's Row earlier in the century. Wow, yeah. That's what I mean. We oh, could go on. We could, honestly, we could. we could go on forever. If you investigated <laughs> yes. this thing, you'd suddenly find all my heroes have been nicking stuff left, right, and center. So Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. 
Mm. Um, okay, well, another one that I'd like to talk about and play, if possible, is your song number nine, which is Lessons of War. Yeah, Which sure. I guess is, I suppose, your most truthy one in this collection. And let me just explain what I mean by a truthy there. I'm talking about, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, mm. uh, the truth movement kind of collection of themes, and we've both expressed our reservations about that term, but uh, what else do you call it? Um, mm. So we're not talking about truth necessarily as a philosophical concept or as a mm. as an absolute a search for the meaning of life although all these things are related etc but it's an absolute yeah we're yeah. specifically talking about that kind of truth movement scene so here this will this will connect to the anti-war movement i suppose anti-war sensibility um now you mm. sent me the original version of this your your acoustic version of this when you were beginning to plan it and mm. um you know if i had anything to say about mm. it and i remember saying at the time i thought well this sounds a bit repetitive anthony can't mm. you do something more with this and you were insisting mm. yeah yeah well this is just the basic idea i'm going to do all kinds of manipulations to this and so i thought oh, all right okay fair enough I'll, I'll wait to hear and actually mm-hmm. um i think it does work extremely well in the end and i can understand now why the repetitive nature of it is part of the point mm. it's kind of machine-like and i guess maybe i'm misreading it but is that what you're trying to say there that there's something machine-like about war. I'm very glad you picked up on that, Julian, actually, yes. Hmm. Um, so much to say about this song. It's probably it's probably the biggest production number I've ever done, really. Hmm. I planned out each verse. If you notice, when if anyone listens to the whole song, there's different effects. The voice is different on nearly every, every verse. The reason it's called Lessons of War, there's a line about, it's a silly line, really, teacher smiles and drops another bomb for us all. Obviously, it's not to be taken literally that the teacher is dropping the bombs uh-huh. but i suppose in a way it's the, it's the idea that we're all supporting war by paying our taxes and we sort of perhaps do that unquestioningly is that coming from this i mean last time well we were talking about uh, music what do we call it blue suede truths or something yeah, <laughs> uh, we yeah, talked about right. pete seeger's song uh, what did you learn in school yeah. today is, what did is, you learn in school? is yeah. that what you're thinking of there that was an unconscious right. thing I, I wasn't thinking of that song in particular mm. but i'm sure yeah it plays into mm. it Really, I mean, war has just been a preoccupation with me, even since I was a child, purely because I've been trying to discover why everybody seems to think it's so normal and it's automatically assumed to be necessary. And uh, it's very interesting you said about the machine thing because we made a conscious effort. I said to Kester Jones, my producer, try and find some machine, try and find some computer noises. And very interestingly... The sound effects, which we spent uh, a good two or three hours putting together, some of them are bombs and missiles and helicopters, but other ones are like computers. And I think one of them is something like a photocopier or something. Because you're absolutely right. You know, it's a military industrial complex. It's the war machine you and I have talked about mm. many, many times. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, well, it was actually the melody itself repeating over and over again. I thought I, mm. what just came to my mind. It's the same in many ways. It's nothing like it. But uh, Iggy Pop's The Passenger. Oh, yeah. Just that going over and over and over and round and round and round. And I just thought, this is just like a machine. And you've got loads of yeah. effects in there. And you start off with church chimes and birdsong at the same time. Yeah. And I just wondered if are you linking somehow the state and religion there? Is that what it's about? The Again. Sort of capturing of the religious sensibilities for the purposes of the state, you know? I mean, that sounds very impressive. Civil religion. I should just agree with you there, shouldn't nah. I? <laughs> <laughs> now, um, when we were putting the sound effects together, Kester had a whole a file of 100 sound effects, and we dragged about 20 of them, and we made a kind of a short list. And the birds tweeting actually came with the sound effect that was called bell, so we didn't... Huh. We just right. played it, and there's something about a bell that does sound very ominous, Yeah, you know? What really happens, rather than me having a specific idea... What I say to Kester often, he's very much on board with this, try stuff and then sometimes the meanings come to you as you hear it. You think, well, this is appropriate for this song and then the meaning comes to you. Mm. And uh, there's a film called The Wall, which is uh, with Bob Geldof and it's based on the Pink Floyd album. And this is an incredible moment where you see um, it's based on Roger Waters' father who was killed in the Second World War. You see uh, he's in a trench and it's being bombed. And at the exact moment that he dies, they cut to his wife who's sitting in the garden in suburbia with the birds tweeting. So, you know, I don't know how conscious it was to use that, but I thought that was a nice happy accident. Yeah. But um, now the bells, I guess, to answer your question, it's sort of an ominous, ominous thing, I think. Yeah. Well, as you say, these ideas come as you're involved Mm. in the creative process. And of course, as as you're listening to it, you're 
doing something about yourself, aren't you? You're investing. Mm. I mean, there are associations which are intended, but you invest more than what was intended. And so when I was listening to it, I heard the bell. I immediately pictured, especially with a bird song, I pictured a graveyard. Right. Classically, that would be by a church. And of course, then I thought, oh, yeah, of course, having talked about civil religion with Martin Erdman and Mm. mentioned it a lot on the show, I thought, oh, yeah, of course, that's right, isn't it? Part of what the state does is to capture the religion of the country to some extent and use that and say, oh, you know, you're going to go to war for us because really you're serving God, you know, (laughs) a manipulation of the Mm. situation. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's right. And what happens to those bodies at the end? They end up in the graveyard with the birds singing. Now, all that just came in a flash and I thought maybe that's part of what you were saying but it's certainly consistent with what you're saying isn't it yeah well that's lovely that it meant that to you Mm. because um, you know a bit of an old cliche but you know uh, the meaning of something isn't limited to what the artist thinks the meaning of it is yeah you know precisely and I'm over the moon that you you know that meant something to you for that reason Mm. even if it wasn't my intended meaning I mean Castor and I are both pretty experienced we've been playing music for 30 years or so and I've been songwriting for a long time and you just you, your instincts get better and better, I think. It's like anything, we just with practice, you know? Mm. And who was the guitarist on this? Uh, Kester Jones. Excellent, um, excellent guitarist. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's, a, he's a producer now. He's produced all my albums, and he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a songwriter himself, singer, guitarist, pianist, uh, harmonica player. Uh-huh. Maybe, maybe genius is overstating it, just because some would say there's only been four geniuses in history, but he's just got so many qualities. And the more you work with him, you realize it's not just technical. I mean, he, I call him White Jimmy, <laughs> referring to Jimi Hendrix That's great. for his guitar style. But <laughs> Right. So what, what did you do with this guitar solo? I mean, there's a, towards the end anyway, there's mm. this big climax that builds up and then it, then it ends with a fades out and you can hear the end of a bomb blast. But this big climax that builds up and the guitar is a big feature of that. Did you write that? Did he improvise that or what? Um, well, the original idea was uh, Jimi Hendrix's recording of the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, yeah. Have you heard that from yeah. Woodstock? Yeah. That was incredible because it was something like mm. four or five in the morning on the last day of Woodstock. Hendrix played the Star Spangled Banner, which is obviously the anthem of the USA, in a, an incredible way. And he used his guitar mm. to give the sounds of like machine guns. It was sort of... Yes, like, yes. These howling sounds and... Uh, it's a collaboration and it's been an incredible production because rather than sort of be able to block book a studio we're both english teachers and we were we've been meeting oh, oh we can do a couple of hours here then i've got to run off and teach a class and then he's got to teach a class in the afternoon it's sort of it's been an incredible way to do it and the last month of the album was stifling heat in madrid and of course because we record basically in his bedroom we call it alcala studios because it's on a road called calle alcala in madrid and we have to have all the windows closed and the fan off to record um, vocals and things. So it was in the stifling heat. And it's all been incredibly uncomfortable, but it, it added to the whole experience somehow. Mm. Well, let's hear it then. And I wanna kill, 
This year, I've been on a kind of uh, orgy of learning. I mean, I always am, really. Um, you know, I'm a podcast addict, including my renewed. <laughs> and uh, you got to say that, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's genuine. It's genuine. Um, and you and I have been talking for a while, haven't we, about um, maybe doing a review of Hearts and Minds and tackling the subject of yeah. war. And hopefully, we'll get there in the future. But um, yeah. sort of in preparation for that, and in conjunction with producing this song, I read uh, Schindler's Ark for the first time. I'd never read the book. And I rewatched the film for the first time since I saw it at the cinema in 94 or 95. And that was an incredibly emotional experience, reading the book and then uh, watching the film. And then I listened to a couple of audio books, one called What It Is Like to Go to War, and another one called Kill Anything That Moves, which was absolutely harrowing because it was the guy who found secret files about Vietnam, America's involvement. 
and it basically describes about a hundred Milai massacres. You know, we, oh, we're really? told that the Milai massacre was some kind of one-off, and it's always spun like that. Yeah. Unless this guy has just invented hundreds and hundreds of details and is lying, which I don't think. It's a journalist. He's put this together. Yeah, yeah. kind of wouldn't surprise me to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, and a, a mm. book I read a few years ago called Jarhead, which is um, it was a memoir. Ah. And uh, the chorus that you just heard there, I want to kill, but I don't want to take. I want to kill, but not for killing's sake. That is the human instinct to kill, which comes out through training. I want to kill, but I don't want to take. And I don't want to kill for killing's sake. So I want to kill, but I don't want to kill. It's that dichotomy. And I want to be protected away from all the things that they'll say. Is all about how people, um, again, in Vietnam, when the vets came back, the public rather than turning on the people that created the war, they took the easy route and turned on the veterans themselves and called them baby killers. And mm. So that, that lyric was very conscious. It's, that's the soldier talking. I've got this thing I want to kill because it's mm. in me and I've been trained for over 13 weeks to be a killer. But actually, I don't want to kill. and Please don't blame me for it. And then um, the very quiet verse you heard, my friends are gone, I'm cold and never felt so alone. That's supposed to be a guy in a trench reflecting on it. One of the sounds you heard a keyboard was actually a, a Mellotron, and that was supposed to be some sort of triumphant, you know, they won the battle. So mm. basically, to summarize, I was pleased with that song because it, that was a very deliberate production and it had a, a structure, which a lot of mine don't. <laughs> yeah, it worked really well. Yeah, pleased with that. I'm trying to think of a segue for this mm. one, I can't. Um, <laughs> I suppose it links to something we said previously about lyrics and how they... Okay can mean different things to different people. And I was thinking of R.E.M. Mm. You know, you look at some of their lyrics, you think, what the heck is this about? You know, but they're so evocative. Mm. And uh, here's the link. I thought there was something of a kind of R.E.M. style to the beginning of From My Heart. Oh, yeah. You know, Michael Snipe in a sort of tender moment, you know. <laughs> um, mm. I like this very much. That sort of oscillating, always sort of seesawing between one chord and then another and going back and mm. forth from one to four, or one to four, or one to four, like that, with a very simple melody, yeah. very intimate sort of gentle dissonance with those two chords there. Yeah. You came in my life, you changed my horizons, and presumably this is another love song. Yeah, about Nina again. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And who's the female voice towards the end? You have a duet. There. Yeah, it's a lady called Melanie Lawrence, who's actually Kester's girlfriend. And uh, uh -huh. she played the viola on that song, and uh, she did the harmony and did a lovely job. Nina gets quite teary whenever she hears that. Now we've broken up. And I, I get quite teary when I hear it, which yeah. is quite weird when you right. get emotional about something you've written yourself. But um, it's uh, capoed on the eighth fret where you get this very nice. Um, do you know, you know what a capo is, I guess? Mm, sure. Yeah, I mean, for anyone who doesn't, it's a thing that you put on the guitar and it makes everything higher. So everything higher notes. So it's sort of. It's just um, it's just a D yeah. shape on the eighth fret, and then I just take it off and I get an open note. And then um, you get that nice dissonance there on the second chord. Yeah, absolutely. It's really nice. And at the end of the song, you combine both chords, mm. which I think is really nice. Yeah, yeah, lovely. But, yeah, lovely you're ending. explaining a lot of the stuff I did uh, without me realizing. <laughs> yeah. I, I love no, that combination at the end. It's just and it's left there. And you resolve it in your mind, you know, because obviously it's a dissonance, mm. which is consistent with what's happened in the song, but you suddenly you're left with this mm. dissonance at the end and it just decays away. And of course, in your mind, you resolve it onto chord one of the piece, which you just do automatically inside your head. And I just love the way that, that works. It's really good. Yeah, thanks. I was pleased with that. Mm. Well, I may as well get personal. <laughs> I think Nina and I hadn't been in relationships for a while when we met. So it was, you came in my life, I let you in my world. It's like when you haven't been with someone for ages, you're... you. It's hard to let someone back in, particularly when you're in your 30s or your 40s or something. You know, you get more stuck in your ways, perhaps. I mean, that was written very consciously about her. And uh, mm. it's left hanging at the end. It goes, I just want to say. And as I was saying to you earlier, number eight, Ballad in G, yeah. which is three songs later, and we made sure that we separated them. That actually answers it. Answers it. Uh -huh. And what I want to say is, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I let you in. 
took me in when the pressure was rising consciously used a few of the same lyrics so you know you came in my life and then it's you came in my life with a which is a classic country riff <laughs> so i Lovely. i actually answered the i just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart thank you for the experience you know even if it didn't yeah. didn't work out in the end lovely song i enjoyed it wow this is very personal it's like therapy this june it's great <laughs> Should be paying you for that. <laughs> um, go on. Well, the last one I want to talk about yep. uh, is the end of the album and follows uh, Lessons of War. Because, mm. I mean, I think it would have been wrong to end on Lessons of War because it's mm. such a downer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and the, but so, so, you know, you're left with this explosion and then, well, you've got to have something else. And you do have something else. You have this last song called Rows of Empty Chairs, which, of course, everybody is thinking is spelled R-O-W-S, which mm. isn't, though. It's R-O-S-E. So, mm. okay, I'm going to ask you in a minute what on earth is that about? But I, what <laughs> I really love about this is 
I mean, you mentioned folky style some point in the conversation, mm. and and here I just thought Bert Jansch, mm. you know, with a with acoustic guitar, and it's a very modal folky sort of sound, and I was expecting to hear Bert Jansch. So, I mean, is that a conscious influence there? Um, what it actually is, it's called Travis Picking, and uh, there was a fellow called Merle Travis. He actually featured, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the film From Here to Eternity. It's got Frank Sinatra, McCall it. Uh, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> <laughs> right. Frank, it's got yes, extremely young. Yes. Mm. Um, it's sure. got Frank Sinatra, uh, Montgomery Clift. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. And Bert Lancaster, <laughs> among other people. And uh, he features in it. And anyway, um, when the Beatles went to India in 1968, Donovan, who I'm sure you've heard of, mm. Mellow Yellow, oh, yeah. lots of other classics, he taught um, John Lennon this thing called Travis Picking. And um uh, just to give you one song that John Lennon uses called Julia. Can you hear that? Yeah. It's got that sort of alternating bass. Dum, dum, dum. So it's, but it's a very sort of self-contained. It sounds very good yes. on one guitar. It's almost like you've got a bass going. Yes. And so I basically took a bit of that and I had this riff. Yes. I've had this riff in my head for for about 10 years, I think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I've always wanted to do a song with this Travis picking. Mm. Do you want me to talk about the whole song, or is there any bit? You can do, but I mean, you're just playing it there. Mm. I mean, again, it's just come straight back into my mind. Obviously, uh, Bert Jansch and mm. people of that ilk are doing yeah. that kind of thing, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, that's a very uh, melancholic, mm. modal, almost meditative sound that's going on there. Yeah. Um, did you consciously pick a particular mode? Because, I mean, I would say that you're playing there with the Dorian mode. Again, that sounds very impressive, and I'll take that, I'll take that, Julian. Thank you. I think, um, actually, it's probably a mixture of two modes. I think you're oscillating from the Mixolydian mode to the Dorian and back and forth. But, I think I'm definitely oscillating yeah. between the Mixolydian and the yeah. Dorian. So you didn't do that? No, you didn't no do joking aside, I mean, no, I just it's just this Travis picking mm. thing, and I, I had this riff for ages and ages and um this was interesting this seems to be most people's favorite song actually uh, it was actually a product of hard graft we were getting towards the end we had sort of emergency sessions uh, starting on the first of july actually and um we needed one more song and i already worked out that this was going to be called rose rose of empty chairs and i had this cool name and i thought oh, this yeah. is great and i couldn't finish the song and i tried it about five different ways and I was working on it every evening after work, and I was thinking, oh, we're nearly finished. And I just bit the bullet about three days before the end of the sessions. I thought, okay, make a demo, just go with this. Sent it to my usual sounding boards, which is two or three people who tell me honestly if things are good or not. And then we did it. The next day we demoed it with Kester, and then the next day after that, another friend, Simon Hughes, came in and did uh, Cajon. Do you know what Cajon is? I don't, no. It's, um, it was originally used in flamenco. It's basically a box and it's got a snare sound and a bass sound. Oh. And you sit on it, it's a box, and you hit it, and it's got snare sound and a bass sound. I think I've seen it, but I've never known what it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Origi like I said, originally flamenco, but right. a lot of sort of rock bands use it. Mm. I suppose it's become trendy, but it's genuinely yeah. a pretty good instrument, I think. Mm. Mm -hmm. And the, the lyrics, the chorus goes, hidden forces everywhere and being alive is just not fair. Rows and rows of empty chairs don't know if I still really care. This is quite amusing because um, the band we had, the Backfield Plan, in Madrid, uh, there's a weird thing that goes on. When you play at venues, you have to more or less find the audience yourself. There don't seem to be any regulars that go to the venues, especially for your concert, because no one's heard of us. So you have to kind of almost beg your friends to come to your concerts, and then you go to their concerts, and it's ridiculous. And because I wanted to play a lot this year, because I was pretty sure I was leaving, towards the end, our concerts were attended by about six people. Oh, oh yeah. That's so unjust, because oh. it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. I'm telling people out there, it really is. Go and listen to it. And, and as I'll probably say at the end as well, do buy a copy as well, because I think you deserve, all deserve to be encouraged too. Yeah, I mean, we were a good, we were a good band. Um, mm. I'm probably going to keep the name. Kester thinks I should call it the Backfield Nan if I move to India. <laughs> Yeah, I was impressed by that one. Yeah, we do like our puns, all of us. Yeah, don't, though. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> anyway, mm. but the idea of hidden forces everywhere, this is very true for me as well. 
the fact that there's all these um, mm. life is controlled without you really realizing it. And that's what, you know, you were talking about truth movement. I think alternative media is a good blanket term, I guess. Sure. Okay. Being alive is just not fair. It's not, it doesn't mean, you know, I'm suicidal or anything. It's just being alive is just not fair because there's all these rules and there's all these things in life working against okay. you. Okay. Then who's, who's Rose then? Uh, nobody in particular. It just came in mind of like a fallen queen or something. But There's she, two things happening at the same time. But you use her as a kind of mythical character to represent something, don't you? Because you say she's vacant. She is just a figment. No, yeah. Not a catch to anyone but you. So what you know, what does she represent? Um, I don't know. Maybe someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think, did you write the song? <laughs> yeah, no, I did. Yeah, yeah. I, think I went into another space. <laughs> yeah i had this just had this idea of a fallen queen and it only came out because i thought rose r-o-w-s of empty chairs was a bit of a naff title so i do like my puns as i said and it worked because the lyrics say my puns have ceased to rhyme <laughs> you know my puns have lost their rhyme so just flashed in my mind yeah. use a pun as okay. the title so you suppose you say that she has some kind of mythical function so what what does she represent um, maybe some kind of elusive uh, figure. I've always liked the idea of guys singing about sort of mythical women in songs without defining them. Right. Some ideal that you're attracted to, but it, you can never quite get there. It's that elusive. Uh-huh. I mean, I kind of, I think I had in my mind there's various figures. There's a, a singer called Nico, who um, you may or may not have heard of, but she worked with the Velvet Underground, uh-huh. and uh, she was this very i guess she even they did a song called femme fatale which she sang she was a, i think it's a femme fatale figure okay you know it's someone that you wish you could get to but you can't because they're always kind of out of reach but it is quite vague but <laughs> yeah. i think really really my, my my motive was to avoid calling the song rose r-o-w-s of empty chairs <laughs> it's just a neat yeah, pun really but it is and it, it mm. looks very profound so that's mm. You've achieved that. <laughs> it's well, a lovely know, song. I like the song. I really, really like the song, and I think it's an excellent way of ending the album. Yeah. It brings everything down to a calmer mood after the previous one and rounds things off nicely. And it's quite different, I think, to quite a lot of the other things in the, the album. It's nice.
is it for today. I hope you enjoyed that interview, and in particular, I hope you enjoyed these songs as much as I do. I think it is a very good album indeed, so please do go over to bandcamp.com, specifically antonyrotuno.bandcamp.com, and listen to the full album. Um, and as I said before, perhaps even buy a copy, which I would obviously recommend listeners to do if you can. It's incredibly cheap for what it is, I think. And I think it's worth every penny and more. You can indeed uh, contribute more if you so wish. So please do consider that. It's not about making money, but uh, it can be very encouraging to have some of your expenses covered in that way. So please do consider that. There are, of course, more songs than we heard today. And if you actually have a downloaded copy of the whole album, naturally you'll get more of a feel as to how the whole album hangs together. That was part one of our conversation. Part two will probably be coming out, not next time, but the time after that, because I'm hoping in the meantime to be speaking to the Christian thinker Joel Furches. Um, So that will probably be the next podcast. Uh, Anyway, there's more of all this on the schedule page uh, at The Mind Renewed. So that's themindrenewed.com forward slash schedule. I also need, of course, to say that all the music we've heard today is copyright Anthony Rotuno, and there will be further details about things that were said in the podcast and the music itself on the show notes page for today's podcast. So I think that really is all I need to say for this show. So I will just leave you with my normal words, which are, you have been listening to me, Julian Charles, of themindrenewed.com, and I look forward to speaking to you again in the near future. <laughs>